Hello and welcome to episode 28. My name is Ross. And I'm Craig. It's time to put the kettle on because it's tea time. Ah, I put a bit of sugar in today and it's glorious. Should do more of Oh, a cup of strawberry tea. What? Why? I had a spare bag. That my time was, I mean? Like mm-hmm. two degrees outside. What the hell's wrong with you? Oh, it's just that um, I had a spare bag. Well, you don't want to be late. I used the last of milk. I, I, I couldn't be bothered to take the, the thing off the top of the milk. So. Fair enough. Ah, right. Well, I think I should probably start with a bit of an apology. Uh, for failing last week um real problems normal people's problems um uh i i just couldn't multitask basically i have uh i, I now have my son during the week um so i couldn't do both so i apologize for those that were desperately waiting for the episode last week only to be disappointed uh by my tardiness um so yeah i humbly apologize anyway Episode 28, are we on now? That's what I just said, wasn't it? Yes, good. So let's start with some news. And it's me to start, isn't it? So let's get through what we've got. So yes, it features it features regularly in the show, hydrogen. Mm. Guess what? It seems they finally put it to get two, two together, right? You've got this, this ability to produce uh, electricity. Um, uh, away from the ground, away from the away from the people, away from the you know the normal society. It's called offshore wind, and um, it blows whenever it blows. But sometimes it produces more than we need, um, and then you have to carry that on the cable back to the land to make use of it or to put it into into a battery. Or seems like they finally someone's finally caught on. You could use the excess energy out there in the sea and do your electrolysis and produce your hydrogen directly from the water that's flowing around you oh wow yeah that's pretty good yeah so i mean it's i mean i could have sworn we'd already thought that one but all right um anyway if we hadn't then well done them uh so this was a bbc article and that was out last week um its wind generation in the UK has now reached its highest ever level. Uh, it's now producing 17.2 gigawatts. Or at least it had done by the end of last year. Um, so it achieved its largest share of, of UK energy production um, at 60% on the 26th of August. Mm. And then it talks about how yet uh, sometimes it pumps out more energy than it actually needs. And so what if you could use it, blah, blah, blah. We've already talked about that. Um, but yeah, got this nice little diagram here. It's basically a, a, a turbine in the sea, uh, anchored to the seabed. Um, you put solar panels on the upper deck of the, the thing that the turbine is, is tied to, the bit that's on the surface. Those solar panels produce electricity alongside the um, turbine. Um, both of those are used to power the electrolyzer unit, which takes seawater 
in from around it and pumps out hydrogen. And that's, that's it, really. But it's uh, finally, I think, a sensible use of that sort of technology. Also, in terms of offshoreness, uh, Boris Johnson has decided that what we need is a new tunnel. Obviously, we don't like Europe anymore. So we don't want another channel tunnel. <laughs> no, uh, we want to go the other way. Um, so we they're going to build, or they're talking about building, I'm sure it's actually official plans yet, but um, to go from Scotland to Northern Ireland, who is, you know, still a member of the UK. So we still like those people. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about new, building a new tunnel. This tunnel will actually be, have a larger underground water section than that of the old Channel Tunnel at 25 miles long. Mm. All we know at the moment is it will uh, help to unblock some trade and it will, could get authorised as early as next month. But uh, we don't know yet. Um, but that would be cool. Although um, I can't, like, obviously we've got, you know, because we cover Elon Musk a fair bit and he's got the boring company. I don't suppose he's going to get asked to do it, is he? They're going to, I think they're going to have these large tubular sections that they're just going to sort of drop in to place and then i don't know how they do the next bit after that send some divers down i don't know how that works but um uh, but it's gonna be one of those sort of things as opposed to a uh, just bore a hole between the two i do feel like that might be worth looking at though if i was boris appreciate it's quite deep but surely that's got to be better than i don't know maybe the uh the pressure of having all that water above yeah i don't know um but that's that's uh mm. on the channels anyway um, that sounds pretty cool. Also, in the news, I like this one. This one's fun. Um, Honda has got a new patent, uh, or patent if you are um, inclined, um, for a bike, an electric motorcycle. And if that wasn't cool enough, an electric motorcycle with a drone in the back. So in the other uh, tail of the vehicle, uh, it's supposed to come out of there. So I'll pull that one up for you to look at as well, because that's pretty awesome. Again, I'll try and explain it for those listening to my voice drone on. Um, drone on. <laughs> Sorry. So look, this is the uh, picture. Basically, it's it's the it's just a you know, terrible drawing of a bike, really. But it looks like a pizza box is on the back, but it's actually it does. a little expanding quadcopter. Um, which seems to fly out of the back. Um, now, according to the article, they don't know what Honda are actually considering here. Uh, apparently, they've got plenty of how, but not much why. Um, so, yeah, there's all these diagrams, and they look very lovely, but essentially, it is just a pizza-shaped quadcopter on the back of a bike. Now, why on earth would you want that? Um, I don't know, but I mean, just, just as a thing for those who can't see the imagery, are we sure this isn't just a normal motorbike with a camping stall on the back? I, <laughs> as in, at what point do we know it's actually a drone? Yeah, does it actually say it's a drone? I mean, I mean, there are there's a it's describing the blades in the diagram, so 
uh, yes, okay, it could be an expanding four hob. Uh, it just looks like I don't Honda's think. preparing <laughs> preparing for the Mad Max days where we're going to need bikes with uh, camping stoves to survive also, in the desert. If it is a camping stove, one would have to question why it's hovering above this car. I don't know what, why they brought a car oh. in. Does it come with Wi-Fi? That's what, pretty cool. What? So, oh dear, I can't get enough internet. So I'm going to have a drone follow me around to give me. I mean, I saw that image and I, I, admit, I thought that was a satellite. I thought that was some Starlink thing. So here's an interesting thing: it says the problem is that the electric motorcycle depicted in the pattern is obviously a sports bike, but no drone like the one seen in the diagram is going to be able to keep up with such a bike when traveling at speed. Um. Yeah. Oh, and don't get me started in the precarious docking procedure while roaring along an open road. So it's a very odd, it's a very odd thing. I don't know what the benefit of mixing a drone with a bike is particularly. So, okay, so you could charge the thing. Great. <clears throat> but a motorbike's already, you know, it's not like um, it's going to do the last mile delivery for a big truck. That makes sense. Or one of those, I don't know if you've seen the, um, the Amazon... Uh, drone ship, uh, mm. you call it the one that thing that floats around, like the Hindenburg type thing, airship thing, it floats around and then drones yeah. out of it. That makes sense because you've got last mile delivery. You want to get it to the actual, but a bike's pretty accessible. It can pretty much go anywhere anyway. So what's the purpose of the drone? I'd like to know. Sure. If any ideas? Please put in the comments below because I just can't think of one. No, I mean, feels like it could have some sort of police usage, perhaps. Kind of that police biker pulls up, stops, uses the drone to survey the scene or something. Oh, right. Yes. Yes. Do do the police have sports bikes? I don't know. And that's not really the question, is it? The question is, do they want sports bikes? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a better use of it. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so filming scene after the biker stops because as you say you can't follow the bike anyway i can't imagine it happening in in transport now no. okay so that's that one um also in the news we have uh jaguar uh i was watching um uh tesla tesla daily basically americans trying to say jaguar <laughs> jaguar Madrid. Jaguar. Anyway, Jaguar. Um, they are going, supposedly, all electric. Uh, as, as Britain's answer to Tesla. Was that, was that in the article or was that something that you added into the thing? No, no, this 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 is the article on the Times. Yeah, okay. I don't remember reading that bit before. Britain's answer to Tesla. No. no. Anyway, the Jaguar is to re recreate itself as the Tesla of the West Midlands and become a fully electric manufacturer within four years. It will involve scrapping the current Jaguar range, apart from the I-Base, obviously, because it's the only one they have. Um, it's much-fated battery model, and closing the Castle Bromwich factory near Birmingham as a car manufacturing plant. Jaguar Land Rover's Indian owners, Tata Motors, intend Jaguar to be an all-electric band by 2025. Now, I don't think that's actually what they said, though, is it? I think that's was some interpretation going on in there. Uh, I don't know if it's got the exact quote that they've got. 
from Jaguar. Um, no, I don't think it does. But um, what I believe they actually said was something on the lines of we would be looking to um, start producing all electric cars by 2024. Um, so that by 2025, they were all electric. But um, I don't think they I think they were going to still carry on selling the ones they've already got or whatever, up until the point of 2030 or 2035, whenever the you basically, it was worded in such a way that it made it look like they were going all electric, but actually, yeah, they're going all electric by the point that they have to. So it wasn't yeah so my sister's got a um um a range rover so she is super excited about having an electric one but she also wants an electric um uh what kind of what about a roof what do you call that convertible convertible thank you um uh which i can't see them make i can't see anyone making for some time because it's all about efficiency and stuff and obviously having no roof on it makes it aerodynamically horrific um but yeah, I don't think anyone who's got a Land Rover will be too excited by this information. I don't think it's going to be happening anytime soon. If they start making it by 2025, well, good luck. They're then getting anything remotely decent by 2035. So, you know, <clears throat> that's that news. Uh, it's, it sounds better than it is, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's heavily worded. I mean, Britain's answer to Tesla, and then it goes on to say it's going to be the Tesla of the West Midlands. So it's smaller. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot smaller. But I, I mean, arguably, what, who else Who else builds cars in Britain? That's a British, well, not even a British brand anymore. That's an ex-British brand. Who else is there? Uh, well, um, there is, there is uh, more car news from Ford. It's not just Land Rover. Oh no, um, Ford are also going to an electrified future. Okay, okay. Newsflash: Everyone is going to electrified future. In case you hadn't realised this yet, every single one, every single car manufacturer, if they're going to survive in the next ten years, will have to go electric. So all these news articles going, we're going electric. Yeah, obvs. Anyway, um, obviously Ford American, so we should bear that in mind. So, um, but it's 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 going all in on all electric future by at least <laughs> twenty thirty. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that was true. That Ford doesn't exist by twenty thirty. Just saying. Um, so by twenty twenty six, the company is aiming for all of its passenger vehicles to be capable. Listen to the words carefully. Here, capable of zero emission in driving. capable okay so what that actually means is that they will all have a uh there'll be at least hybrid and that maybe you're going to go 10 miles in zero emission completely no 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 fossil fuels but obviously no one's going to do that because you can't drive anywhere for 10 miles without thinking i'm going to run out of juice soon so it's going to get used very 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 rarely so yeah, you've got to be really careful with these words because they will try and make a lot of doing something here and not. Uh, well, give it another word. Sorry, 
you said they're going to roll out by 2030. Yeah. Only in Europe. Yeah, there's no yeah. plans to do the same in the US. I assume they will, but there's no rush. Well, not until Biden decides to put in some new legislation or something to force them to, no. Basically, yeah, yeah they're all doing it in Europe because we have rules that say that you're, you're going to have to. So everyone's saying, yeah, yeah, you know, Europe's more adopting, but it's just, if you really, if you cared at all, if they actually cared about the, you know, the planet, whatever, they would, then they would make it electric everywhere. The fact that they only do it in Europe is because they have to do it in Europe because we won't, we'll ban diesel cars or, or petrol cars at some point in the not near future. Um, yeah. Yeah. So similar things for their commercial vehicles, capable again of zero emissions by 2024. So, yay, go and buy a Ford hybrid van. Don't actually, don't do that. That would be a stupid idea. <laughs> Just wait until someone's brave enough to give you an electric van. Buy that one instead. Um, and that is all the beautiful, wonderful, uh, positive news I have. Uh, so, Craig, do you have any for you for, 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 the, for the group? Um. I do. I have a, a bunch of little pieces. They're all quite little. So I'll fly through them. First one is just a rumor. But it's an interesting rumor. Um, Amazon potentially is developing its own digital currency project. <laughs> so, so this has been gleamed by job listings that Amazon has been posting, uh, specifically for um, product engineers working on converting cash into digital currency. So that would be quite cool, I think. That would like make it in the region of maybe 9,000 cryptocurrencies by that point. But I think Amazon, if anything, has a good shout of making it quite successful, like the Amazon coin. Would be quite interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> Just as another See way how that works. Pay tax. Is this some, so they can now open up new markets that don't have uh, American currency, so they can just transfer all the money to somewhere else in Bitcoin, basically, uh, and skip the whole taxing. They are, I give them, they are very good at that. <laughs> they seemingly do, given the fact that, uh, as we mentioned last time, best quarter ever of, uh, was it 200 billion in sales? Oh, God. Absolutely ridiculous. Mm. But it's not only Amazon in the digital currency field, there's also a couple of countries. So we mentioned China previously, However, the next country looking to be the first country to have an entirely digital cryptocurrency is yeah. Russia. Ah, Russia. Okay. I mean, India might be there too soon, but uh, Russia is kind of racing China to be the world's first country to have an entirely digital uh, ecosystem. So that's been quite cool. And creatively enough, they're going to call it the digital uh, ruble. So. They decided that with digital in front of their currency, like the digital pound, it's like anything, right. you know, a bit more imaginative, perhaps. But, um, the Russians, yeah, I'm to just defend an entire nation there, but I didn't mean to, really. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe, maybe add that part out. There's lots of you know, Russian hackers and stuff. <clears throat> well, um, creatively get into my computer. Yeah, so this is only a concept right now. They are trying to bypass local banks um, and the whole financial watchdog. But, you know, given the fact that this is kind of a communist country-ish, 
like China, imagine that that's just a, you know, a thing you say, whereas mm -hmm. underneath you can't say this is what you do. Um, Russia's central bank has revealed its plans and they revealed their plans October last year. So this isn't new. This is something they've been planning for some time. Mm. But ultimately, let's see what they do. Let's see how they go about doing this. Just looking, someone, like I said, I think you said before, like someone just wants to get an edge, don't they? Someone just wants to go, right, does this give us more possibility to trade somewhere that we can't trade at the moment easily? Um, and therefore, you know, if we get a competitive advantage, we'll do it. And why not? Because if you're, you know, if you're in fifth place, sixth place, whatever, in terms of the um, world economies, may as well give it a yeah. give it a bash, isn't it? I mean, pretty much. Well, I mean, why why go lose really? And I think the whole digital cryptocurrency trend is massive right now, which is a good thing that um, yeah, we see countries getting on board. It would be nice to see Britain do something similar. Anyway, uh, moving on. Next, we have a novel way of generating electricity with stretchy bands. And effectively, they take body heat to power gadgets. So this is an entirely different way of thinking about self-healing, eco-friendly devices. For example, like a Fitbit on your wrist could now be powered, charged, uh, just from body heat, which is pretty cool. How's that? I mean, we've had kinetic watches for ages, but I guess that's not enough power, is it? No, I mean, I, I don't know how much power a Fitbit would use, but the, the the stuff they're talking about is like heart rate monitors for runners, that type of stuff. You literally stick a pad on, use yeah. your body heat to keep running, take it off, turns off. So that, that's pretty cool. It's um, kind of uh, University of Colorado, so it's a US thing. And yeah, these are just uh, thermal... Yeah, thermoelectrical generators, which convert heat into electricity. So generic sort of stuff, but tiny enough and embedded enough that these can fit into little, tiny little film, film, sort of thin, flexible tubes. Yeah. Um, which basically like little wires that can go into almost any gadget and little elastic bands kind of go around. I like it. So, yeah. They're talking about stretchable, worn on arms, legs, fingers. So you can imagine like a little electric ring, a little LED in it if you wanted. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That type of new fashion trend could be a thing. Yeah. Like it. So, like like mood rings that actually light up. It seems to be more and more of these films coming out, like that can do different things based on, you know, whether it's light, heat, just mm. different coverings for things. Just feels like you should be able to at some point just go, you know, like, I've, I've got this part of my house, the drain pipe. I just want to cover it in this, 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 and this, please. Thanks very much. Um, and then, you know, now you've got power coming out of your drain pipe. Yeah, put everything in there. Yeah. Very cool. It's all going to come together at some point. Super cool technology. Uh, anyway, moving on to electric vehicles. So Scotland, which is an awesome country, has the largest collection of EV chargers, which are free in the entire UK. Wow. So this is based on uh, SatMap's findings that there are 4,900 free to use electric chargers. I have no idea there's so many, which is quite good. And 1,334 of those, roughly 30%, is in Scotland. 
and the rest is kind of spread out everywhere else. Well, the only ones yeah, that has more ones that aren't working properly. They lost connection to their servers, so they have to give it for free. <laughs> no, I'm not not sure if they they're counting the free server use, but okay. um, <laughs> but yeah, given given its population of only 5.5 billion, um, it has double the number of electric chargers than England, which is you know given half population, quite quite amazing, really. Yeah, so it does seem that there's a lot of catching up to be done on in the UK in general. Of we want to get our infrastructure ready for the inevitable electric vehicle. I still think it's going to be a very odd journey that one because on the one hand we're going to need we're going to start off by needing lots of car parks to have these bays in them, and then that's going to transition to actually. We don't really want them in public car parks like that. We just want them in, we just want them in people's houses and we want them in office blocks and we want them in, um, you know, the place, the places that people go. Well, also then there's going to be less car parks anyway, because if we've got less, if we get more start moving towards this idea of robo taxis or things like that, then we're not going to need the car parks and then we're not going to need the charges in the car parks. We're going to need somewhere, some depots for those cars to go to. I just think it's be interesting to have it. They're all going to, they're going to flood in and then they're going to flood back out again to go somewhere else, especially if we move to like that wave technology where it's like a, mm. just a pad that you park on. Um, and then we won't need the, the big boxes anymore. So that's just going to be a weird journey for uh, people that produce chargers. Good luck to them. Uh, we discussed this before too, but the whole rent everything idea. Um, I think the idea that we won't own a car in the future, I think that's going to take a lot of change in minds. Mm. But it makes perfect sense that maybe the street will own uh, two or three cars, perhaps, maybe. And you don't take in turns, or you just literally call up an Uber or something, and that's it. I can't see the street one working, where people have to actually coordinate with their neighbours. That's not happening. Um, I'll be an app. Oh, okay. Like, so an Uber. I, I, I just call it. Yeah, you haven't got to talk to anyone. Oh, okay. Well, maybe it worked then. <laughs> um, I was thinking that was an inter like intermediary talk. thing we can move away from one car per house to maybe one car per street or something. I don't know. Right. Maybe that's an intermediary step. Yeah. Which a lot of suburbs might, might opt for that because yeah, they don't really need to go far anyway. And given the fact that we all work remote now, maybe we just kill the car timing. Who needs although, although I do, part of me still thinks that um, the uh, like the Arkimotos and the Apteras of the world, the both of them are like these little three wheeler things. Um, I can kind of see that being the car that people own because it's the like the fun utility vehicle in the in the case of Arkimoto, and Aptera is the one where you don't have to plug it in ever; it's just solar powered. Um, those are the ones I could see people owning on their driveways because they're the ones that you just pop to Tesco's in those when you when it's more shopping than you can be bothered to carry home. It's the little tiny little thing that you go go out and then the bigger cars are used for carrying multiple people in you know in, in quality with entertainment and screens and all that sort of stuff. But people start owning these little little vehicles. I know I would. I would I would love to own an Aptera, a solar powered one. Mostly because of the journey I do to collect my son, um, 
I would never need to plug it in ever because I only really use it once a week. That would be ultimate for me. It'd be amazing. Um, or the Arkimoto for the like the Tesco run that I just you know okay, I was going to nip to Tesco's. You want something that's just you know you could put three or four of them on your driveway. I don't know why you would, but if you, you know if you if you lived in, in a house where you've got multiple adults, you're not it's not one car in the driveway. You, you can yeah, you can put them both there. They're, they're small. They're tiny. They're, they're fine. So that would be another interesting problem for the infrastructure to deal with. Yes, I'm talking to infrastructure. Next piece of news is EVs may get hit with a new tax. Maybe as soon as next week. We don't know. Really? But certainly sooner rather than later. Um, so Rishi Senak, our chancellor, he's currently got this problem of uh, people are buying more electric cars. I mean, I think Tesla was probably the biggest selling car in the UK maybe this year, in the last year. Yep. Um, which is mild, considering you can't really go anywhere. But the idea right now is government's tax um, duty comes a lot from petrol. Half of the price of petrol is tax. So yep. when you buy an EV, you are effectively saving, on average, about £600 a year in tax, which is just mad. Yep. So, so obviously, every EV user has taken 600 quid a year from the government. And so far, they haven't really done anything. But I think they get to the point now where they're suggesting that they're going to have to start doing something. And we don't really know what it's going to be yet. But uh, other countries like Denmark have already started suggesting that the electric vehicles system, which is just actually ready to weigh uh, 904 million from its welfare system per year. So we can right. see how this starts to add up. Yeah, so I would argue that it would probably be saved by the uh, NHS. Uh, all, the, all the articles going out at the moment, but only people dying from actual pollution that we don't even, don't even, didn't even know about. They'd save it. Although then we'd obviously have more people alive. Which might be a different problem. Yeah. I mean, it's cash to whatever happens. I mean, if they just straight up die, then it's not an anxious problem. But obviously, they get ill for a long time. So that's that's the cost. Yeah. Although, but I, so, for the record, I, I said it before, I, I agree. I, sh I should be taxed, just not the same. Just something linear. Not the same, no. Something linear yeah. to my usage of the roads would make sense to me. I think a road tax just makes sense, yeah, because the roads still need to be upkept. Doesn't matter what vehicle you drive, something like along those lines should do something. But oh, there's no mile. Like, yeah, yeah. Or even it's just using the motorways. You pay for using the motorway or something. Oh, Who great! Knows? I don't use it. <laughs> but you know, you might one day. Um, so, Rich Senek is planning the UK's budget. Um, it's going to be announced next week, March the third. And hopefully we find some clues from that spring budget. If it is interesting, that's be my topic next week, covering that budget and what's been announced and how it impacts the UK. If it isn't, we'll say nothing more of it. Um, another thing's happening in the UK is that judging, I think it was the Supreme Court have now ruled against Uber and all its gig workers. It's effectively saying, Sorry, but you have to treat them all like employees, which is kind of a 
big hit. So they have to now be workers rather than contractors, which legally speaking gives them a lot more rights than they just than they did. So the whole idea of a gig worker yeah. in the UK at least may be coming to an end, which is kind of mad because you think of the industries which use gig workers, you've got yeah, Uber, Deliveroo, Just Eat, you know, all these type of things where people just jump on for the gig. And I think it's a really cool system personally, where let's say he was bored. You can go deliver for Deliveroo or Just Eat or something. If like an hour on a Tuesday, I don't go do any more than that. It's a gig. Mm-hmm. And that's quite cool. Make, I don't know, 20, 30 quid and say, cool, thanks. I'll just earn my Chinese or something. Yeah. That, that could be done. So I'm not yeah. sure if it's a good thing or not. I don't, I'm not sure it is either. I think, I think if you work over a certain number of hours, maybe something like that, that would make sense because if you're basically working full time, then maybe because um, at that point, if that person does get sick, they're getting no support from anywhere. Um, and if they're, you know, they're sick because they're working so hard, then to some degree, the, you know, their employer should take some responsibility for that. So I think that would be all right. But if, yeah, if you're, if it prevents people from taking the gig, the, the, the positive side of the gig economy, um, then that seems to count. As an argument against um, the idea of working too hard, um, the gig workers do what they want, effectively. They are independent contractors. You don't have to do this thing. Uber's not saying you need to work X amount. No, 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 sure. But what I mean is if, if I am working 40, 40 hours a week um, and just because I'm working hard, um, I get sick because you know, I've got more people in the car with me, you know, I get I get sick because I'm doing my job and I'm doing a lot of it, then just I think there should be some support at least from the it, I, I'm you know, I'm sick that day and I earn nothing. Okay, one day might not want to kill me, but if I'm sick for a week or two weeks then and I get no support from anywhere, then then that, that's a problem. But again, only for people that are working enough hours, I would say, to qualify. Yeah, I think it's a hard one because then it's, it's, it's your choice to do that. So I think when it's your choice, maybe it's your choice to also get loss of income insurance to cover yourself in those times. You can do that. Yeah. Or for example, if you say that threshold is 32 hours, if you work more than 32 hours, you're classed employee, then Uber will say you can only work 32 hours. That's the limit. And that's, that's, that's what they'll do. Obviously not where they can set it. As in if it was like you said, I and mean, I can choose to work as much as I want, that's fine. Then the employee gets to choose how much they work and the employer accepts if they work more than 32 hours, then they do get some rights. Yeah, it's, it's just a hard one because, yeah, an Uber, an Uber, Uber driver might go driving on weekends where it's good money. Then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they might do Deliveroo, deliver some stuff. They might do Uber again on Thursday. And I think that freedom to pick a gig yeah, that, up is, is really, really good. Yeah. And if I were to work 60 hours doing gigs, so be it. That's my choice. And I think it's dangerous to say I should be covered by an employer's regulation because I then increases the prices you know ubers are cheap deliveroo is cheap yeah once the employees it's no longer cheap you know yeah, cover a lot more things maybe the insurance thing would be a suitable alternative it's just yeah, maybe give them give them give them free uh income loss insurance or something yeah or at least liability insurance yeah all right yeah maybe maybe
Um, and the final piece of news I have, which is not really a new piece of news, it's just an interesting article from Wired talking about Mr. Elon Musk and his journey to Mars, one explosion at a time. Mm. And it's it's really cool. It's a really cool article talking about his journey and effectively at the beginning um, when a rocket exploded, you know, he was almost on his knees in the companies and he could have literally gone broke and lost everything. And an extra another fail or another fail afterwards or anything that goes wrong, that could be it. Yeah. Which since 2008, he's taken that so far to where he is now. And I think now it's kind of got to the point where Tesla, Tesla, SpaceX can now afford to fail. And now we can afford to learn lessons quickly. Mm. Uh, how many how many rocket launches does it do a year these days? Well, I'll tell you that in a bit, Craig. Ooh, okay. Well, this is my segue piece. So Elon Musk, SpaceX doing good. Uh, what's today's topic, Ross? <laughs> Somewhere between segue and stepping on, but okay. Um, right. Sorry. That's all right. Um, so yes, uh, the one last week when we I failed to do the episode, uh, one of the things that we did do is that we watched the Mars Perseverance landing live. Well, as live as you can when the thing is several thousand miles away. Um, even millions of miles away, not quite sure. Um, 20 minutes behind, weren't we? That was a weird thing in itself. We were watching it 20, we were watching it live, but everything that we saw had already happened 20 minutes ago. So even when we, when it, you know, when it did successfully, you know, um, Spoiler. You hadn't watched it yet. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it landed. Um, uh, yeah, it already landed 20 minutes before. We just, just first, anyone knew about it. Um, yeah, so, and it got me thinking about how far we've come. Um, you know, as you said, when Elon started SpaceX um, in the beginning, uh, I think they had three crashes in a row and they managed to just about scramble enough money together for a fourth. And if like with literally with parts of money, they managed to get the fourth one to go up. And if that one blew up, uh, as far as Elon was concerned, that was probably going to be it. All done. Game over. Um, so I wanted to go through a little bit of the of the story of um, not at that time, but moving a bit further forward um, into 2015. Um the Falcon 9 rocket uh, left, left Cape Canaveral. Uh, it went up, it flew, um, got itself open to orbit, then came back to Earth and landed for the first time that any rocket had ever been, had landed again, because obviously normally they just let them um, burn up in the atmosphere. Um, but SpaceX had this idea of going, well, one second, what we don't we don't people people in planes and then blow up the plane when we get to the end we you know we, we turn it around we use it so they spent all this time and money trying to get that rocket to land and then obviously when it when it was due to happen everyone was watching to see what would happen um so i've got a little video which i'll, I'll pull up here for you because it's all good fun to watch now the, the thing about the first video is that um they're the cameras obviously weren't, they didn't bother too much with the cameras because they weren't necessarily expecting it to go well. Um, so the first one's not particularly great, but um, it just gives you 
also an idea of how far we've come in that short time frame. So um, I'm going to need some sound for this because you need the sound to kind of appreciate it a little bit more. But sorry, I'll just share the screen for you. One second. So that's it coming down. Right, so that's the first time it ever happened. And um, Elon was outside uh, before that, before the, before the rocket refired again. He was outside looking up at the sky, going, "Oh no, this is bad," because uh, he thought he was going to drop out of the sky and just smash into the ground. Um, and then it did, it did fire. And then all you can see in the darkness is just this big ball of flame, thinking, "You know, what's going to happen with this thing? Is it going to land?" And then you know the dust settles, and then you st stood there, and it's, it hasn't fallen over. It's not blown up. Um, and then everyone goes absolutely crazy. Um, but so that was cool. Um, I'm just going to stop the sharing soon. That was 2015. Mm. And then um, in 2018, uh, we hit a new milestone. Um, the Falcon 9 had been replaced with a larger rocket called the Falcon Heavy. Um, and this one had, you know, by this time we got the camera situation sorted. So we got multiple cameras with different views of both separation from 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 above, and also they got you got cameras pointed down at the fins. You got cameras on the ground waiting for it to arrive. Um, so this time they're trying to land. So the Falcon Heavy is much bigger. It's got two boosters, not not the one like the Falcon Nine, um, and they are attempting to not just land them. <laughs> But they land them on Cape Canaveral's uh, bays, basically at the same time, which <laughs> is just a crazy thought. You've got these two boosters that go up into space, and they come back and they're going to try and land them at exactly the same time in exactly pretty much the same place. Um, and like every time I watch this, I get like some weird emotional response to it, which I can't even explain. Uh, it is just the most awesome thing ever. If you haven't seen it, uh, well. I don't know. Back to you now, so you can enjoy it. Um, okay, so <laughs> we got chanting. It's about to land. Burns have started, and you're just like, okay, what's going on? I can't. And then you get this image: the two of them at the same time, and then. Falcons have landed. <laughs> okay, so I mean, the first time I watched that, and if you got the chance, chance to watch the full version, just the noise um, of everyone's. <clears throat> In the, uh, the obviously got your um, what do you call it, mission control, and you got everyone basically around the outside, um, and they're all watching it. And then it's just, I mean, I'm not sure that gave it quite justice, but the, the noise, the absolute noise of people just going losing their absolute beep, um, over watching these two things land, just incredible to see. Um, so 
Okay, so there, yeah, that was 2018. And you, you heard at the end of that little clip that they were talking about the third booster. Now, they, the third boost did not land. We had to wait until April 2019 before they managed to land not just the two boosters that you just saw, but also the third booster. Now, the third booster, <laughs> you just, it just seems crazy. The third booster lands on a, on a, on a port, a floating port called, um, uh, of course, I still love you. And it was just basically just a pad floating in the sea. This thing, you've got the two boosters that take the first, uh, second stage to, to orbit. That second stage then goes on with the third booster that's still attached. That goes off into to get to it where it needs to be. And that third booster is now a long, long, long way away from the uh, launch pad. So it can't go back all the way because it would need to be even bigger in order to have enough fuel to get it, not just up, but also to get it back. So to save the needing to put more fuel in it, they make it land in the middle of the sea. But now you've got this tall, you know, multiple story high building, basically falling out the sky, needing to land on a floating pad in the sea. And when it does it, you just like, oh, it's just, it's just ridiculous. It's, it's just insane that you can, that anyone can even ever, I mean, it's not even, it's not being driven. It's just computers figuring out how to land in the middle of the ocean. It's nuts. Anyway, as you can see, this stuff blows me away a little bit. Um, so, right, so that was 2019, April 2019. We had finally landed everything. We'd finally got everything that we, to, to make it reusable. We got it all up and we got it all back. So, 2020, <laughs> infamous 2020, uh, SpaceX launched 26 missions in 2020. So, you know, we're going from doing like one every, every well, <laughs> one like 50 years ago and then like a massive gap and then not many in between. And then now in 2020 or the last year, we did 26 missions uh, of which there were 40 of those successful on land landings. 40 successful landings. And they also worked with NASA in November to launch four astronauts into space to get them to the International Space Station. So, and that's a whole new level. When you've now got people on board, you know, it's one thing to have a computer blow up in the middle of the sky, but to have people on board requires a level of um, trust in your own system to, to do that. Uh, probably what partnered with NASA, because yeah, um, NASA's had a, it's a fair run of, uh, deaths by rocket um so in 2021 uh spacex are continuing but now we've moved to not moved away we're still doing lots of um launches like the the falcon heavy ones which are basically taking up lots of satellites which we'll come back to you later but and we've done the people one but now they are moving on to their next big rocket which is going to be the starship um so we have had multiple uh, iterations of that, um, and the most possibly well-known ones are SN8, or Starship Serial Number 8, um, and 9. Um, and if I can try and pull this one up as well, uh, both of which have achieved maneuvers that no one's ever seen before. Um, it does a horizontal... Have you seen this, Craig? It does a horizontal fall out of space, um, and then at near the base near the landing pad it then does a flip to go from a literally just a falling hump of metal 
and then the rocket reignites and you watch it do that in, in real time. Um, obviously for those at home, basically it goes from a horizontal to a vertical rocket whilst falling. <laughs> I haven't seen that. No, okay, well, uh, I, we should actually find it because it is amazing. Um, <laughs> so obviously, I mean, I've watched Mandalorian. I've watched many space-based uh, sci-fi thingies where rockets take off and land all the time and it doesn't seem it seems perfectly normal but when you see the thing actually do it for real life it's I don't know why but it does it blows you away so let, let me so let me see if I can find you SN9 I mean while you do even even the, the twin boosters land at the same time I mean that's that's already a sci-fi wet dream that type of stuff that we are at that level already yeah and um, He's calling stuff starships. You know, you can see where he wants to go with this. It's yeah. just amazing. So this is SN9. Uh, I believe that next to it is SN10, ready and waiting to go up for its for its flight. Um, I will just skip mm. the uh, you know, the cool parts. This is the one where it does actually take off. Eight seven. Six, five, four, three, two, one. I think the fact that they launched it right next to the other one as well is like, do they not care? Like, that's how confident they are. So, this thing has got some three Merlin engines, I believe, all basically pointing in the same place, unlike the other ones they've had before. Which are like actual boosters, this is just one rocket, right? So he's got his, his weird little fins going on as well. Uh, those mm. fins are important for when it's doing its little weird maneuver later on. Um, so, what they do is they, they launch it up in the, into the air and then they turn off rock, uh, one rocket at a time. Just, I think they're just doing that just to check what you know which which what thrust each one's giving so they start with three then they go down to two and then they go down to one eventually they turn that one off as well just hold it on a little bit so this point this push point i think we're down to one so it gets down to the point where there's not enough thrust on the booster it's basically hovering effectively so it's not enough thrust to go any further up Engine number three shut down on time as planned. We're continuing to climb on two engines. Everything continues to go well with Starship. Good engine performance, Okay, so fast forward a bit further forward. We want to see all in now. Um, if it is, it's falling slowly. As in, it's still got it's still got a rocket we're going. T plus four minutes. Vehicle is at ten kilometers. It's apogee. It is at apogee. We're continuing to throttle down engine number one to hold altitude. Yeah, so basically, he's hovering at this point. We're preparing for handover on the propellant tank. I mean, that looks scary in itself, doesn't it? I mean, like, should it be doing that? <laughs> Four and a half minutes, we are handing off to the 
locks tank. We right, were beginning and then look. to flip the horizontal. And you just think, oh, God. Cloud, the plume you were oh, God. That can't be good. Liquid oxygen dump. Is this thing We've just... now transitioned to horizontal and beginning the subsonic... It just looks like something fall out of the, the sky. It does not look healthy at all. The Ford flaps. <laughs> but those flaps make it more stable, the and then it starts thinking, you okay, all right, fine, maybe they know what they're doing. But I'm still wondering to myself, how fast is this thing falling? Like, and what is underneath? Yeah. What is underneath it right now? Is that is SN10 underneath it? <laughs> I like how they haven't bothered paint it as well. Ah, just in case. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, literally, they make these things in like two weeks or something. T plus five and a half minutes. Starship continuing the subsonic descent using the four and a half flaps to control its attitude as we come back down to the landing pad. Everything continues well in this yeah. portion of flight. Yeah. So, why are they simulating it? They simulating an accident type of thing. No, like, can they recover? Simulating it coming back down, ultimately. Well, that they're doing multiple tests at the same time. One of them is to see what would happen if the engine is... But at this point, they're, they're trying to land it. Right. So it's using the, the wings to essentially fly back Six to where minutes, it came 10 seconds from. into flight. We're down beneath one and a half kilometers. We're preparing to restart. Two so engines. they're going to start the engine in a minute and try and get the rocket back into a, for the landing burn. A, a rocket position. They get it. <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> Except it didn't go quite right, and boom. I wonder if, if it's a surprise that SN10, the what sat next to it, in its um in its test yesterday or day before, uh the engine seems oh, to be a bit dodgy. I wonder if that's got anything to do with the fact that it was next to it when it blew up. But that move, you just thought. And if anything, SNA kind of did the job slightly better. Um, but the angle of that camera angle, just watching it go. Well, as you can see from the oh, scene, we had again another great flight up to the 10 kilometer aperture. Obviously, the news all over that is going, oh no, you know, space up was screwed up again, another blow up. But they literally, they, they farm these things out in a couple of weeks, try something different, send it up. It's incredible. Yeah, they, they are too big to fail, I think, these days, which is this. The amount of stuff they must have learned from this would be amazing. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. The data they've got on these things now is just is awesome. Mm. Right. So that's that's what SpaceX is doing, but obviously there are other people in the world. Um, so we've also got Jeff Bezos, who's never far but usually behind. Um, his company Blue Origin, uh, which has been quietly pushing forward with their mission to build what they call a road to space. For our children to walk. Um, so like SpaceX, oh. they are focusing on reusability, which makes sense. Um, but they seem to be going about it in a more sort of, um, well, it's a slow and steady thing. Uh, and they're focusing more on passengers. So they had a test last month of their new Shepard, which is a six-seater crew um, capsule. Uh, so Rocket takes off, flies around for a little bit, hovers a bit, comes back down, um, uses three parachutes to make it land 
softly on the ground. I mean, I still thought it kicked up quite a bit of dust for someone that landed softly. But right, so their larger rocket is the New Glenn, which is a bit more like SpaceX's um, Falcon Heavy in the sense that it's an orbital rocket. It's designed to get satellites up into space. Um, and supposedly it's got the largest payload of all rockets ever made. Whether that will still be true by the time it actually gets there is, is another question. But um, <laughs> they're focusing on that much, that stuff. And then you've also got Virgin Galactic, who are on a, in a similar vein, focusing on the people side of things, but they're not trying to be um, a, a transit of satellites. They're going for the commercial uh, tourist who just wants to go up and feel what it's like to be in space and weightless and, and that sort of stuff. So they've made what is a very cool looking rocket. Um, the only thing not cool about it is their somewhat Ron Seal title. Um, it's called Spaceship Two. Oh, how original. Following Spaceship One. Um, but it's a cool plane and it's, uh, it's, it's basically, it's, a, it's just a weird looking plane with portholes around the full sort of circumference of the of the cabin so that you've got a sort of immersive experience so when you go up there and you're in space you can look above you you can look below you can look all the way around and it is a very very cool looking plane um and i'll put up another little short video so you can see what that looks like because you know that is something that's gonna have to be at least on most people's bucket list at some point Oh, definitely. Just the ability to go, oh, yeah, well, I'd say uh, I've been to space. I've flown about. It was fun. It'll be done. Did, did they name it uh, the whole dad joke thing where spaceship one, spaceship two, because if one blows up, it's still got two. Is it that whole thing? I, I don't know. I don't know what possible reason they have for such a dull title. <laughs> so here it is. Look, here's your, uh, here's your cabin. Mm. Yeah, so we've got like our cool little seats, um, which I think can be folded away or something so that you've got more space to float about in the cabin. Um, let's watch the little, not all of it, because obviously <laughs> the, the reveal in 10 minutes. No, we're not watching that. Challenge to make sure that not only did we continue in that tradition. <laughs> there it is. Way that was there he is. With the scale and the nature of what the old doing. bucker. So this is the plane. The very that... first thing that we did as a company when we started out was we talked to our customers yeah, I don't about actually want you to talk. Just... And enhances comfort during each stage. Yeah. When you Show some things, stuff. Very Apple. To maximize cabin space for you to enjoy weightlessness, and it remains reclined during re-entry. So. We direct and optimize G-forces without detracting from the thrill of the ride. We've provided each astronaut with their own personal digital display within the seat backs. The display gives us the opportunity to share live flight data with you. Because that's what you so want to do. When you go into space, you want to spend the entire time working at a screen. <laughs> Look out the down window. Yeah. Those screens don't work though, because if the guy in front of you reclines, then you can't see your screen anymore. It just ensure that perfect fit. Well, you'd hope they thought of that, but we also worked. Yeah, we get the idea. Um, and there's another video of, of the woman who's taken up to test it, and like basically her just sort of like floating around the cabin, going. Uh, I mean, every clip is her with her, her mouth open so wide that you know you could throw things in it. 
is there any hint of what the ticket price will be? I've I've heard them to be around hundred, maybe two hundred thousand dollars. How much will a Virgin Galactic ticket be? Uh, top one, there's a hefty price tag of yeah, two hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, yeah. I I'm expecting to go down pretty quickly, but probably not to the less than a thousand area. I mean, it's going to be still going to be like you know. No, I, I think if fifty grand, I think fifty grand. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, looking forward to that in a couple of years, is it? Uh, well, one hopes. Right, so we've got all this stuff with rockets and all that sort of stuff going on. But meanwhile, we've also had, in the last couple of weeks, we've also had the United Emirates, United Emirates even, um, launching their Hope Probe, um, which has already started to uh, return pictures, um, uh, which I can pull up for you. There you go. Crazy to get to see that one, but you'll get to see that one in the post edit. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm only not doing it because, uh, well, we watched we watched the live thingy, so you've, you've already you've already seen it. You know what that's like. um, yeah. This was followed then by the Chinese probe, um, and that one's got a video that out of it, kind of scanning over the planet. Although to be honest, it didn't seem like a very good. Um, couldn't even tell it was a rare planet. It was bright. It was so bright you couldn't see it. Tell anything. Um, and then of course. Taking it up a notch or 17,000. Um, we had the arrival of Perseverance and we've had panoramics from the rover. Have you seen the panoramic of the, of the rover from the rover? Not a panoramic, no. Okay. Um, uh, okay, well, let's see what we can put for you on this one. The panorama from. Oh, that's cool. Rover. I always think it, I mean, like, because now it feels real, doesn't it? Now you feel like, okay, well. That Full is, HD as well. Yeah, that is what. That's where I landed. That's why I pushed all this dust out of the way as I got on the ground, and that is the scene in on Mars, pretty much right now. Mental. I mean, it, it's incredibly exciting to think that that, that Perseverance's uh, mission aim is to find signs potentially of life and collect soil samples, etc., and all that type of stuff. Um, so we there's there's good suggestion that life has been on Mars in the past, and you know billions of years ago Mars was quite uh, similar to an early Earth, yeah. but you know for some reason you know lost its atmosphere. Um, but it'd be great to find out if if any of that's true, if, if there are signs of life ever been there, and hopefully perseverance is the the rover can do for us. Well, I think the the thing that stands out for me is when you look at that picture, that particular panoramic, is just how normal it looks like how it's a yeah. different planet but it kind of looks like a lot of ours um and i know obviously we already knew that before but but just seeing it does make me think wow okay that is it's just you know somewhere in nevada um i'm sure that's what conspiracy is that's just in utah desert i've seen yeah. that before but uh, right so the point is that in six years we have gone from uh, getting a handle on how to build a rocket, how to land, a, a reuse it. Uh, sorry, to land a booster, to reuse that booster. Uh, we've managed to get little robots onto a planet, all sent without any people, autonomously, um, so that we can now drive around in a little car on Mars, uh, so it can take photos, videos, 
um, so that we can control the thing from here. Um, we are now in the process of trying to get a single Starship Type 1 rocket to launch, fly around, land, refuel, go again. Um, probably within the next year or two, we will have an actual Starship and people will be paying to go and at least float around in space on a on something like um, Virgin Galactic's rocket, if not um, actually using it for travel, possibly even on this planet. Um, that's not a huge stretch uh, within the next five years or so that normal people, albeit affluent people, business people, whatever, may start, I think, start using a starship to get to a meeting in Australia and back. Um, so I wanted to sort of just kind of, as you know, I do investment. So it's, I guess, some reason I'm you know, partly I'm thinking about that, but also I'm just thinking of, I can't quite work out, or I'm enjoying conjecturing what how this changes the world when you've got to a point where you can just, where space travel isn't a thing that is only done by uh, scientists where it becomes something that normal people can do. What do you do with that? Like, how does that change our life? Does that mean that we go to the moon for stuff? Do we, are we mining the moon now? Um, and if so, what does that change for Earth? Um, or just the fact that all these rockets are going up and they are littering our orbit with um, satellites and those satellites are producing internet like Starlink um, that's probably a more real effect because now we've got internet everywhere literally every part of the world um, what does that do to change things because on a basic level it uh, changes the commerce of the world so the the poorer countries will have more opportunity because they'll be able to use the internet to make um, a big uh, have a bigger impact if they've got if they take combine that with 5g or whatever you've got then countries going oh we're going to um pioneer on 5g technology and maybe we can build our own thing out of based of that um so it might just make everybody closer because you're now going to get more um a day in the life of someone in outer mongolia i don't know maybe um uh yeah what what else does that change um are we just, is it literally going to do nothing other than have more people living in an RV with their own YouTube channel um, <laughs> going around off grid? Is that all it's going to do? Are we going to have, is it going to make the human population spread out a bit more? Uh, is the fact that we just because we, we can't live out well, so we've got this already changing culture where we don't have to go to work um, because we can do it on Zoom that's already changing. You're already working remotely for a company in America. Um, that's becoming more and more normal. At what point do we go, well, actually, I can live anywhere, even somewhere some slightly more out of the sticks that I couldn't have done before. Um, does the internet alone give me that? It might do if it's coupled with, you know, Amazon deliveries from flipping drones. Um, then, you know, maybe I can now get my food delivery parcel in the middle of the forest or something, you know, but all of these, just being able to do that, just being able to build a rocket, put things into space, will potentially change everything. 
because at that point we might even start putting people on Mars. Obviously, that's a bit further ahead away, but um, and that point we become a multi-planetary species. That changes the whole concept, the culture of of who we are, uh, whether we actually yeah. the planet. So yeah, like yeah, what are your thoughts? What, how does that how does that change us? And I appreciate that's a quite a big question, and I probably should have prepped you a bit more. Than we have an answer. It's a very big question. Yeah, I mean, for me, for me, my my main drive is freedom. So I love the fact that yeah, we can get off the grid. We can just you know go buy a forest and live in it, and that's possible with stuff like Starlink. Because yeah, as you say, I I work remotely. So should I take my laptop? anywhere I can get access, I can continue to do my job. And it doesn't really matter where I am and what I'm doing. So yeah, I could have a little hut in a forest in the middle of nowhere with Starlink and a laptop and be doing exactly the same what I'm doing now. You could. I could could be a hell of a lot happier too, who knows? But I think given that choice, that freedom, that's what that enables. And as you say about poorer countries, they get that choice too. It's not just a westernized thing. It's an entirely world thing. And if that being a human right, who knows? Maybe governments will subsidize Starlink and it'll just be free for everyone. Maybe that'd be a cool thing. It'd be yeah. a UN thing. But like, I, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to remember what life was like before I had the internet myself. Like, I, I, you know, what, did I, what did it enable me to do? And that's, that's even harder in itself because like well it is it wasn't like it was that long ago really but um but uh, yeah all i can think of is just access to goods and services that you couldn't get before i mean yes okay i can use social media and stuff and that changes the, the culture a little bit um but these are all new these are like within the last five years yeah but i don't know i i, th- I think really all it does is it um Obviously, people got access to the internet. I'm sure they already do. Um, so access to information, it's not so much that they're going to get information because they will probably have enough internet to get it before. But the fact that it's so easy to get and you can watch YouTube videos which explain how to do things, I do think on some level it fast forwards uh, general um, innovation. Even within people's houses, they start to learn about things that they didn't know existed before because it's because you can now consume hours and hours of YouTube videos or whatever, um, which, you know, before we were probably a bit more selective about what we used it for, like, you know, send an email, an important email. When you've got that much and you can just stream stuff, you end up being privy to information you didn't have before and that changes what you shop what you what you do mm. but none of those seem particularly meaningful i mean generally everything is going to get better i think that's kind of the problem as well that we live in an ever increasing better society and things are getting better every single year based on Moore's law that everything improves uh, mm. exponentially and i think we're just completely used to it like yeah social media we've really got to the point where that we realize that's toxic it's only really been around since 2008. I mean, well, 13 years old? It's, it's like a teenager, barely. Yeah. And we already decided, oh, we shouldn't really be doing that stuff. It's a bit toxic. Yeah. You know? Kind of funny, right? So, 
that's that's nothing in the time. I was period. there when it was like um, ASL was the most commonly typed phrase. Do you even know what that means? Yeah. But well, it's explication. Yes. That was I, mean, I, I also use AOL. You're not, you're not that much older than me. Well, yeah. But yeah, the the chat rooms of old. I was, you know, you, did, you had no idea who the hell we talked to. The first thing you do is ASL. Who are uh, who are you? But yeah, back back in the like the late nineties, early two thousands, where you know everyone didn't realize that the internet was full of pedophiles, and you could do stuff like ASL. And you know, assume when someone says they're sixteen, female, it's like ah, oh, I mean, okay. the point. That, I mean, ASL is now offensive. Like. You know, oh, I, yeah. I don't identify as either S, actually. Oh, that's a deep subject. Let's not touch that one. Okay, fine. <laughs> we don't want to lose any viewers, do we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. But, yeah, but yeah, I mean, the, the fact that stuff's changed so drastic. And I mean, you did have a birthday recently of being 30 years old, I think. Right. And I mean, that's it's nothing. Absolutely nothing. Like we're older than the internet, which is mad to think that in primary school, at least, you know, we, we had to find all our information, you know, in, book. in books. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no control F in a book. So it's kind of like you have to read the thing, which yeah. maybe we, we, were, we were the last generation that had to actually use analog technology. And the new generations, like my kids, at least definitely like your kids as well, is, is digital. Like analog isn't a thing. But I think, and I think our kids' kids, they'll be gone. Given that we both went into computers, we were probably the first generation to have access to things that we would never have known about had it not been for yeah. them. Um, so we probably, uh, like my, my parents would have been affected by not having that access to that information. Um, yeah. Because they only knew the jobs to some weird degree, they only knew the jobs that their parents would have taught them about, I think. Or you could do this, or you could do that. Whereas we Industry. know, well, actually, it can be anything you want. And there's people that do this, and there's people that do that, and I've got access to all of that. So, yeah, culturally, I think it will change. But I don't I don't know whether they're... I can't think what we will do differently, necessarily. As in, the people that have already had the internet will probably not have been affected too much by everybody else getting it. No, I, again, I think it's the freedom and with freedom, I think comes a good general mental health. Um, I think a lot of people being stuck in houses this year has shown is next year, we're probably going to have a mental health crisis. So the idea of having internet anywhere that I can just, yeah, I can walk anywhere with my laptop, sit down, do my job. Yeah. And that is freedom. Assuming it's not raining, of course, which it always does. Of course, although, you know, Come up with a waterproof laptop already. Come on. Um laptop, Starlink. Yeah. Get on it, Musk. I think maybe that yeah, maybe that'll be the biggest change for me. I I already like the idea of of living off grid. Um uh and but the internet is I mean, I know some people that um they live in their their vans or they live on boats or whatever, and they, they have to they have to literally move to a location if they want to use the internet they want to get a decent enough signal then they will have to move to a particular location because obviously most of the time they're out somewhere that doesn't have a regular one um and the fact that that will end the fact that they can go anywhere i think that would be pretty cool yeah 
make it more simple. I, mean, like, I would consider it then as a lifestyle, whereas at the moment I'd be like, I don't know, no internet, like yeah. maybe days on end doesn't sound great. Uh, I don't know how I would do. There's a life we've uh, we've talked about before about becoming a digital nomad. The idea of just travel the world, backpacking a laptop, sort of need. And the fact that you could have a tiny little USB key or something that is a Wi-Fi dongle for Starlink, take that with you. Doesn't matter where you go, you've got it. You got full fiber internet at your fingertips, on your phone as well, because you know you won't need to roam anymore. And I mean that's it. You're a digital nomad. Go live, work wherever you want. Absolute remote desert, middle of Iceland, whatever. You're going to be all right. I think that's just amazingly free. Mm. Cool. Well, on that note, I'm going to go and dream. Dream about being a digital nomad. Not quite sure what my son's going to do, but we'll figure that problem out there. Um, right. Well, I must remember to remind you all to uh, think, educate, and act. And um, we will see you possibly for some budget conversation next week. Yeah, I have all the fun ones. That's you do indeed. Next week. Right. <laughs>